Praise the Lord. Would you turn with me this morning, please, to the 34th Psalm, Psalm 34. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, why don't you raise your hand, let our ushers get one of ours to you. Maybe you've got two or three at home, but you just didn't bring one this, this morning. And make the effort to turn in the Scriptures to these places and look at them. One of the uh, big problems in so many people's lives today is they do not respect the Word. The Word does not have first place in their life. That's one of the things I'm so thankful for. Uh, My spiritual father in the faith, Dr. Kenneth Hagin, instilled that in us and in thousands of students and people all over the world that the Word is first. And you reverence the Word. You respect the Word. That's why you hear us talk so much about reading your chapter every day. And that you don't speed read it. You don't scan it. You don't read it when you're half falling asleep. When you're fresh. You you pray before you read it. You go, Lord, I, I reverence your Word. Your Word's life to me. Your Word's health to me. Enlighten me with your Word. Quicken me with your Word. Feed me. Remind me what you've already shown me. Show me new things I haven't seen. And then read it in faith. Amen. Now you, you, you can tell volumes by how people read the word. About them. About how they refer. To the word and the things of God. The terminology. The, the word of God should be uh, one of the most precious things in your life. In fact... The most precious. Now, I know that sounds like a big statement, but, but somebody said, well, I thought Jesus was supposed to be the most precious. That's what I said. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He is the Word. Amen. Right? Yes. Made manifest in the flesh. So how many understand what I'm talking about? We reverence the Word. Yes. We love the Word. Amen. Above all. Above all. Somebody said, well, I, I got I to gotta write to my opinions and, uh, and beliefs. You know, you got to write to yours. No, not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian, you don't have a right to believe just anything you decide to believe. You're supposed to believe this, right? Every question is supposed to be answered by this. Is this right? Is this wrong? What does the Word say? Where's the Scripture for it, right? And boy, this this will keep you straight now. I know when I first got into the ministry, the Lord, uh, in a time of prayer, I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but He spoke that to my heart. He said, examine everything you believe and think By my word, everything. Ask yourself the question, where's the scriptures for it? And make yourself find them. If you can't find them, don't believe it. Don't accept it. Don't stand on it. Don't build your life on it. And I'm telling you, it was eye-opening and still is, you know. But especially in the beginning, I would think of something. I'd think, well, I I believe that. And that thought would come to me. Where's it at? I'd think, well, I know it's in there. (laughs) So I'd get to looking. And I couldn't find it. And I thought, well, no, I, know that. I know that's in there. But it wasn't. I heard some preacher say it. Mm-hmm. How many understand everything that preachers say is not Bible? That's right. Just because a preacher says it doesn't mean it's so. I, I thought of one thing one time, and, and I thought, well, yeah, I know that. Because it was something a relative of mine had said. Had told me when I was small. But it wasn't in the Bible. And, it, and if you can't find it in the Bible, don't build your life on it. Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at in the scripture? People come up and challenge you about something. Don't make it a you versus them deal. Say, okay, where's it at? In the Teach me. Help me out. But don't bring your opinion. Right? Show me in this book. The word is the final authority. And thank God the word tells us something wonderful that we've been camping on these last few weeks. In Psalm 34, that most of the world does not believe But you and I being believers, believe it. Psalm 34, are you there? The first part says, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's a matter of your will. His praise shall occasionally. Now let me look. What's that? Oh, continually. Be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast 
In the Lord. Now you know praising God. One definition of it. If you look up the words. Is boasting. One of the definitions of praising God. Is boasting. And that's what sometimes people don't understand about us. They think we're just bragging. And we are. But not on us. We're bragging on him. Right? And you're supposed to brag on him. That's another way of saying, look up the words. Don't take my word for it. Look up the words and you'll see, to boast. It means literally to boast. One of the words that's frequently translated praise in the Psalms means to boast, literally. I'll make my boast in the Lord. I'm going to tell what the Lord has done. I'm going to brag on him. Right? And you know, the Lord spoke to us specifically to give him all the glory and give the devil none. That's why Phyllis reads these testimonies. Every service, I mean, it'd be rare to come and not hear us talk about testimonies. Why? We're bragging on the Lord. Right? He gave our children cats and motorcycles and CD players. We're going to brag on him. Right? He healed our people from cancer. We're going to brag on him. Right? Right? He's met our people's needs and saved their stuff from being repossessed and restored to them what they lost. We're going to brag on him. Right? We're going to brag on him. And if somebody don't like it, tough. Because he did it. And we're going to brag and we're going to tell it. Is that what he said? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise. Bragging on him will continually be not just in my thoughts and heart, but in my mouth. I'll be talking it. If you're talking it, somebody can hear it. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Not in myself, not in how smart I am and what I did, not even in how I believed God. Are you with me now? But in how God came through for me. How God met me. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. And what happened? He heard me. And then what happened? He delivered me from all my fears. So this is the... uh, Series that we've begun a couple of weeks ago, and we're calling it Free from Fear. We're adjusting that a little bit. Free from all fears. Just like the verse said. Right? Free from all fears. How many think that's a good way to live? I sought the Lord. He heard me. And he delivered me from all fears. If you have any phobias, then you're not delivered from all fears. Right? Any phobias. Now, we went back and studied and saw the source of fear. We saw that before there was sin, there was no death and there was no fear. But like Romans 5.12 says, by one man sin entered in. And so death came by sin and death passed upon all men for all is sin. If there had never been any sin, there would never have been any death. If there had never been any death, there would never have been any fear. Fear, Hebrews 2 talks about that Jesus took part of flesh and blood. So that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through all their lifetime, because of the fear of death, were subject to bondage. Fear of death makes you subject to bondage. And all fears are fear of death. Well, how could that be true, Brother Keith? Well, death is much more than physical death. Spiritual death. Spiritual death involves separation. Spiritual death involves loss. And any fear that you can think of involves a fear 
of losing something or a fear of being separated from something that you desire. Right? Fear of being separated from your physical life. A fear of not getting what you want. A fear of losing what you love. And all of that is fear of death. But Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death and thereby has delivered us from the fear of death. Said out loud, I've been delivered from the fear of death. See, fear of flying, what is that? It's a fear of death. Fear of being in a close place. What is that? It's a fear of being smothered or something. Fear of being in a big crowd. Fear of being alone. Fear of foods. Fear of cats. Fear of dogs. I mean, the phobias are just endless. And all of it involves being afraid that I'm going to be separated from something I desire or that I'm going to lose something. But when you know God and you walk in the fullness of this, you're not afraid of losing anything good. You're not afraid of being separated from anything you desire. Even your own physical life. You know, uh, Phyllis and I, in our few years, we've had a couple of situations to where it looked like you could die right now. And I'm so thankful. We're talking about the other day, a couple of things that had happened over the last 20 years, and we weren't afraid. Genuinely. I wouldn't stand up here and lie to you about it. If I was afraid, I'd tell you. I have been afraid before. But on these occasions, and it's for no other reason except we've been putting the word in us for decades now. And this word produces faith. And this faith displaces fear. You can't be full of faith and full of fear. You get full of faith, there's no room for the fear. <laughs> I know a while back, oh, this has been several years ago when I was first learning how to fly. My, one of my first flights in a jet, I flew with this guy and we went to this certain place. And these guys on the ground were telling him, they said, uh, you know, why don't you do such and such for us? I didn't even know what they're talking about. He said, no, nah, no, nah, I got in trouble last time I did that. And they said, oh, come on, do it. He said, no, nah, I'm not supposed to. I'll come on and do it. And uh, I was flying, but he was the one that was over the flight. I was brand new. And so they called on the radio. They said, be advised, there's nobody around here to see this. Nobody's here. You could do it. And uh, I'm sitting there. We're sitting on the end of the runway. I'm about to push the throttles up. He said, uh, I have it, my airplane. Well, he's the instructor. So I said, okay. He took it. Well, man. He fired this thing off. We come off the ground. And I mean, we're not 50 feet off the ground. I mean, we're in the middle of the runway, you understand? Just bare, and, and he does this. Well, in order to turn, you got to dip a wing. That wing couldn't have been 10 feet off the ground. We're doing 150 miles an hour. And we stay low and just pick up speed. And here's all these buildings. Well, you know. We're not going down the runway. Now there's all these buildings and stuff. And I'm looking straight at the middle of a building. Doing 170 miles an hour. And I wasn't afraid. <laughs> the thought crossed my mind. You may die right now. <laughs> but I wasn't afraid. What? Because what happens when you die? I know what happens when I die. Not because I've died, but because i got a book. It's got all the answers in it. Yeah, it tells me what happens. Hallelujah. Yeah. People say, oh, oh what you afraid? Afraid of what? Why should I be afraid? Afraid of dying? Why? I've been delivered yeah. from the fear of death. Hallelujah. Did you hear me? Yeah. Man, we just barely skimmed the top of those things. And I was just able to sit there and think, wow, now this is something. <laughs> Look at this. Phyllis and I are driving one time years ago. And we're just going down this four-lane road. And all at once, we see all this dust and stuff flying up. And this car jumps the median. And it's heading straight for us at about 70 miles an hour. I mean, dead for us. I mean, there's not, you know, 100 yards. And it's closing fast. 
And we didn't scream. We didn't panic. Did you hear me now? We didn't scream. We didn't panic. We called on the Lord. And I'm telling you, right before that thing got to us, it just turned and went somewhere else. Didn't touch us. But our thing that we were remarking about, we realized we're not afraid. Oh, what freedom. I said, what freedom. And when you get a bad report or when some crisis arises, you'll respond one of two ways. You'll either panic or you'll respond with faith. If you're going to be in faith, you can't yield to fear. Faith is just better. It's easier on your mind. It's easier on your body. It's easier on your constitution. It's easier on your family. Your family don't want to see you fall apart. They don't have to use their resources to prop you up in the middle of a situation. Right? You do not have to fall apart. You do not have to panic. You do not have to fear. Now last week we camped on that. Jesus told us, if you were here last week, you remembered, he said, don't let your heart be afraid. Didn't he? Don't let it happen. Don't let it. That means you do not have to yield to fear. Now, feelings will come. Thoughts will come. Experiences, memories, all kind of stuff will come and you might feel afraid. But here's the big thing. Don't yield to it. Don't give in to it. Resist it. And this is one of the most important things we've told you since we've begun on this. When feelings of fear come, what do you do? Resist it. I don't care if the hair is standing up on the back of your neck. I don't care if goosebumps are double parked on your arms. I don't care if your knees are bumping together. This is what you say. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? I will fear no, I'll fear nothing. The devil will say, too late, you're already afraid. Look at you, your knees are bumping together. You say, shut up, shut up, shut up. I refuse to be afeared. Resist it. Say, no, uh uh-uh, no, I will not yield to this. You feel like panicking? But resist it. How many understand you can resist it? Yeah. And by the grace of power and power of God, by the greater one inside of you, you can be successful and not give in. Amen. See, what happens when people panic is they yield to it. They give it. They yield to the thoughts. They yield to the feelings. And when you do that, it's going to get worse fast. Amen. Don't give in to it. Resist it. What happens when you resist the devil? He'll flee from you. Has to leave you. And there may be times if you're going through something that's really, you know, traumatic and disturbing. When you are tempted to fear and these things come on you. And the feelings and the thoughts will come so strong and they may come again and again. But what do you do? Resist them again and again. And don't quit resisting. Every time it comes, you stand against you. Say, I don't care if tears are flowing down your face. I don't care if you feel every symptom of terror and fear. You say, no, no, no. God is with me. I will not fear. He's my strength. I do not have to give in. And you stand against it. And how many believe the Bible is true? What will happen? It will leave you. I said it will leave you. And you'll be in faith. And you'll have victory. And you won't go down. You'll go over. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Now go with me please today. To the book of uh, Job. Can any good thing come. Out of Job. Y'all know where Job is? In Job, the third chapter, there is a a principle and a law that we must understand. You know, Job had a lot of bad things happen to him. Now, people, you know, do not understand the book of Job and get things all twisted around. And you hear people say things like, well, I guess I'm I'm just like poor old Job. You're talking about a multi-billionaire. 
poor old Job. And it's amazing that people miss, you know, they say, well, I, I'm sick and, and I'm broke and I've lost stuff. And I, I guess I'm just like poor old Job. You know, that's, that was God's will for Job. No, Job was extremely rich and blessed. And then he wound up more blessed. Right? Historians believe that the entire trial of Job lasted less than two years. Maybe less than that. Well, he had a rough year. I said, Job had a rough year, but he wound up twice as blessed. A lot of people miss the back of the book. Job got healed. Is that right? Job got healed. He got delivered. He wound up with twice as much as what he lost. How do people miss that? But they do. They just ignore all that. But Job had some very bad things happen to him. And the Bible tells us specifically who did it. Who did it? The devil did it. The destroyer. Somebody said, well, yeah, but God led him. Well, just because God allows something does not mean it was his will. And does not mean it pleased him. The Lord allows all kinds of things. All you got to do is look around in the world today. Right? He is allowing all kinds of things. He's allowing Satan worship in this country. Right? He's allowing all manner of sin. He's allowing all kind of destruction. Is that because it's his will? Is it because it pleases him? No. All the stuff that we see in this earth is because man has a free will. And man is chosen wrongly. And then God allows to a degree what we allow. And so it's not God's fault, it's man's fault. But here you see a very real spiritual legal reason why this stuff was allowed in Job's life. This stuff began to hit. Children were destroyed. Possessions were stolen. Storms tore up things. I mean, can you see who's in people stealing and robbing from you? Who was behind that? The devil was. Who's behind storms tearing up houses and stuff like that? It's right there. Right there. The devil. It's so sad that you see a tornado come through and tear up a church. And the folk will get up and say, well, you know, the Lord knows best. And he saw fit, you know, to take this away, to teach us some lessons. The Lord is not tearing up churches with tornadoes. So sad that people are so ignorant of these things. The devil wants churches tore up. Right? The thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Is God the thief? Certainly not. It's the devil. But all this stuff happened to Job, and look, out of his mouth, what he said. Job 3.25 He said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. One translation says, What I dreaded, what I dreaded came on me. Friend, this is a law. Your fears will come on you. Your dreads will come to you. That's one reason we're taking time with this and we're going to keep camping on this. Because fear is a perversion of faith. How many believe your faith will come on you? Yeah. You believe you receive. You don't doubt in your heart. You don't quit. What you believe will come to pass. Right? What about what you fear? It is a perversion of faith. When you get in faith, you're persuaded of something. Right? You're persuaded. God is real. You're persuaded. Let's say for healing. You're persuaded Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and carried your pains. You're persuaded it's his will for you to be healed. You're persuaded he can make you whole. Right? And he's made provision for it. You're persuaded of something. And then when you get in faith, you either ask for healing or you your hands laid on you or you pray the prayer of agreement or whatever. You claim your healing. Now you're expecting your body to change. Because of what you're persuaded of, you are now expecting 
Symptoms to change. Pain to go. Strength to come. Body parts to be changed. If you're in faith, you're expecting. Let's look at the fear side of this. If you're in fear, you're persuaded of something. Right? And then that causes you to what? Expect something. Something bad. Why be afraid if it's not going to happen? Right? But when people are in fear, what are they in fear of? It's some form of the fear of death, but they are persuaded that the devil can do it to them. Or that some human can do it to them. Or some machine can do it. They're persuaded that something has the ability to separate them from what they desire or to take from them what they desire. They're persuaded of it. They have faith in the ability of the enemy. And because of that, they expect it to happen. They're expecting it. When you're in fear, you are in expectation of something bad. And it's a spiritual force, friend. You've set something in motion. Just like faith gives God a legal right to move in the earth on your behalf, fear gives the devil a legal right to move against you. Job said it. Read it again. The thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. Now see, you got different measures of fear, just like you got different measures of faith. Jesus talked about little faith. He talked about great faith. He talked about no faith. Well, what did Job say here? The thing I what? He was in great fear about this stuff happening to him. And it happened. How many understand what happened to Job was supernatural? All this stuff happening in a day? I mean, it's just it's too many bad things at one time. And Job said, the thing that I greatly feared has come on me. And the thing of which I was afraid or dreaded, some translations say, is come to me. Faith receives life from God. Fear draws destruction. It draws it to you like a magnet. Friend, if you just got this one thing today and got it etched in you and you lived by it, it would change your life. And when you understand this, man, it opens your eyes to things that are happening all around you. You hear something happen to somebody and you think, well, that's what they were afraid of. They had talked about that. They always said that when they were a little child or as a teenager. It's a spiritual force, friend. And so when people hear this, they think, oh, no. Now I'm afraid that what I'm afraid of is going to happen. <laughs> No, I called on the Lord and he heard me. What happened? He delivered me from all my fears. All of them. All of them. All of them. And I tell you what, friend, it is frustrating for the devil and it is fun for you. When you get a hold of this and no matter what the enemy does, he can't get you in fear. So therefore, he doesn't have a legal right to do it in your life. He tries. He brings thoughts from the past, memories. Just because something happened last year doesn't mean it has to happen this year. Just because it happened to you 10 years ago doesn't mean it. you're a different person now. You know things now you didn't know then. Right? You can slam the door in the devil's face and mash his nose. And keep him on the outside looking in. Yes. Now I didn't say you wouldn't be tempted to fear. You will be. Feelings will come. Thoughts will come. Suggestions. Memories. They'll come. But do you know what to do with them? Yes. Come on now. Do you know what to do with them? Do you know? What do you You resist them. You say, uh-uh. No, I refuse to fear. No, no, no. No. Hallelujah. Go please to the book of Proverbs. First chapter. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Proverbs 1. 
The Lord describes the effect of his wisdom and knowledge and understanding in the life of a believer or the absence of it in the life of a mocker who refuses and rejects God. And he said, verse 23 of chapter 1, Proverbs 1, 23, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll make known my words to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you've said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I'll laugh at your calamity and mock when your fear comes. How many understand it is a foolish thing to turn a deaf ear to the word of God and to mock and make fun of the word and the things of God? Because then fear's going to come and when it does, you're going to yield to it. When your fear comes as desolation, and then what comes with it? Your destruction comes as a whirlwind. Then distress and anguish comes on you. Oh, friend, do you see the connection? When fear comes, what comes with it? Destruction. This is a principle in the Word of God. You'll see it repeatedly. Fear opens the door for destruction. Fear draws destruction just like faith receives blessing. When you realize that, you become absolutely intolerant of any fear in yourself. And you begin to work on it. So now I can't leave this fear and dread here because I'm opening the door for this thing to happen to me. The world, you know, the Satan is called the God of this world. His influences are pervasive. Magazines, TV, movies, the news. So much of it is designed to put fear into you. It's very subtle, so much of it. All these statistics. Well, you know, eight out of ten sometime in their life. This will happen to them. Well, how do you know that's true? Kind of like these polls. <laughs> Who'd they poll? They didn't poll me. Did I ask you? <laughs> See what I'm saying? <laughs> so much of this stuff. It just, people, you know, it's, it's kind of like evolution. I mean, they teach it for a fact. All this stuff people just teach for a fact. You know why these missing links are missing? (laughs) Call it what it is. A theory. My father in the faith, uh, Brother Hagin, used to say, do you know what a theory is? Then he'd, he'd define it. He said a theory is a supposition based on ignorance of the topic under discussion. Because if you knew something, it wouldn't be a theory, right? It's a supposition based on ignorance of the topic under discussion. Theory of evolution. Theory of this. People have theories, which is their ideas and their opinions are their experiences. People's experiences are not truth. People's failures are not truth. Five out of ten. Well, even if it did happen to five out of ten. What about those other five? Somebody got to be them. The five that go all their lifetime and it never happens to them. Right? Don't watch horror shows. You know what it's like? If the devil came to you and the devil said, hey, Dave, let me give you a vision. What would you say? Huh? Hey, Dave, let me give you a vision. It'll last for three hours, two and a half hours. It'll be amazing. Let me give you a vision. What would you say? But people plop down in front of screens. They watch a vision. Who is it inspired by? Where did it come from? You understand what I'm saying? Same thing. And so much is instilled, excuse me, designed to put fear into us. Thoughts. And you see something terrible happen, and then what's the next thought? 
That could happen to you. Because you just never know. (laughs) And five out of ten. You just never know. Do you see it? That is you so pervasively in the church. You just never know. But what's after you say it, where does it leave you? Well, let's all just pray and hope. But you just never know. What does that mean? It might happen to you. You got no guarantee. It might happen to you. What is that doing? That's leaving a seed of fear. You don't read that in the Bible. You don't read that when the psalmist says, a thousand may fall at this hand, ten thousand may fall over here, but it won't come to me. It won't happen to me. Now that's different. That's a far cry from you just never know. Faith knows some things. It knows God is faithful. God will keep me. The angel of the Lord encamps round about me to protect me, to deliver me. His angels will bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against the stone. It always goes well for me. I don't care if it happens to a thousand over here and ten thousand over here. It won't happen to me. It won't happen to my children. It won't happen to my family. It won't happen to me. Now that's no fear. Right? No fear. Ah, we're living in perilous times. Yeah. But we're living with God too. Don't forget that. He's in us. He's not the lesser one. He's the greater one. Can you say amen? Amen. Young single people. Watch all these movies that have all these young single girls going to college and sit and watch all these movies with rapes in them. And call that entertainment. And don't realize the enemy so in seed. So in seed. So that they go back to their dorm room and they sit there in fear. About every noise that they hear. Well friend, is that okay? What about the spiritual law? What is it? Your fears will come on you. Now I know people don't believe it, but it's a fact. It's the Bible. You get to fearing something. You get in panic about it. What are you doing? In essence, you are believing the devil to do it. You're being persuaded that he can do it. And then you get to where you're expecting it. It's an invitation. How many understand that if this is true and it's so serious, we must not allow fear in us or our children. We must shut the door and say, no, you don't. Friend, I have heard preachers preach from the pulpit. A little fear is good. I've seen it on church signs outside of churches. You know, a little fear is this. And a little fear, basically a little fear is okay. A little fear is good. Well, if fear is what we're seeing it to be, there's no degree of it that's good. People say, well, you should teach your kids to be afraid of a snake or to be afraid of a car. No, you should not. No, you should not. Well, you should teach to be afraid. No, no fear is good. Not even a little bit. None. Teach them to respect what a 3,000 pound car at 80 miles an hour can do. But not be afraid. Did you hear me? Teach them what a big poisonous snake can do, but not be afraid. Why? We have dominion. Right? We have dominion. Teach them to be aware. Teach them to be knowledgeable. Teach them to understand. But never, ever any fear. None. No fear. Now go with me please to the book of Luke. Thank you, Lord. Over 50 times in the Bible, you hear these words from the Lord or his angel, angels, or one of his prophets, fear not. 50 times. Fear not. I know I hadn't told you the chapter yet. I'll tell you in just a minute. We're going to chapter 8, but there are other chapters we're going to also. 
This is just a sampling. He told Abraham, fear not. I'm your exceeding great reward. I'm your shield. He told Isaac, fear not. I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. He told Jacob, fear not. Moses, fear not. Joshua. He had to tell Joshua several times. (laughs) Because Joshua was facing possessing all the land that the first generation had failed. Among other things, he said, didn't I command you? God talking to Joshua, be strong, be of a good courage. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sounds like a command, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. And Jesus himself said, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. means you don't have to. Why so much emphasis on fear not? I mean, almost every time when the Lord did something significant with somebody and they begin to see the supernatural element and God involved, they became afraid. That's the first thing he'd say. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. He told Zacharias, don't fear. He told Mary, fear not. The shepherds at night, fear not. Joseph, fear not. Peter, James, and John, fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? I think we have... uh, As Christians, so many times we've read this and thought this was just kind of a little pep talk. Right? Oh, come on now. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Mm -mm, It's much more than that. If they fear, it's going to hinder what he's got planned. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that and they don't like to hear that, but it's just a fact. Fear gives place to the enemy. Faith gives place to God. If you're fearing, you're not in faith in God. If you're full of faith in God, you're not afraid. Now, this is one of the clearest examples of it right here in Luke 8. You know the story how the woman with the issue of blood pressed through and touched Jesus' clothes. When she saw she couldn't be hid, the Lord told her to be of good comfort. That's another way of saying don't be afraid. Your faith's made you whole. And uh, down in the uh, the eighth chapter, down in verse, uh, well, excuse me, let me back up. Before he had ministered to this woman, you know, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, He had come and said, my little daughter is at the point of death. Would you come and and lay your hand on her? She'll be healed. And so he'd started that way to minister to Jairus' daughter. And that's when the woman with the issue of blood pressed through and got healed. But down in verse uh, 49, after that the woman with the issue of blood had been healed, verse 49, he said, while he yet spake, Telling this woman, you know, your faith has made you whole, go in peace. The ruler of the synagogue's house came and said to him, your daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Now let's just stop right here. Just because you get in faith doesn't mean your faith's not going to be challenged. Right? Just because you get in faith doesn't mean that everything's just going to be real easy and you're not going to have to deal with any feelings or contradictions Our symptoms, faith doesn't assure that you'll have no problems. Faith assures you overcome. Right? And so this man comes and he exhibits faith. He says, if you'll just come and touch her, she'll live. Man, that's faith. That's good. Jesus said, all right, here we go. Let's go. He's going with him to his house. This woman interrupts and gets healed. And he's standing there talking to her. She told all the truth and what she did. So I guess it took a while. And uh, I'm sure Jairus is sitting there going, come on. we got Because his daughter, he said she was dying when he left. And obviously she was. And he's probably thinking, come on, lady, shorten this up. We got, come on, Jesus, this is great, but we got to go. I'm going to have time for this. And the devil has always been the devil. What do you think he's telling Jairus? Hmm? It's going to be too late. It's 
It's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You ever heard anything like that? Thoughts? You're wasting your time. What good's that going to do? What do you think this preacher can do? What do you think a prayer can do? What good is that? Anytime you hear anything like that, know where it's coming from. What's the point? And then here people come up, people that he knows from his house, and open their mouth and say what he's been thinking. It's too late. She died a while ago. I'm sorry. No need troubling the master anymore. It's too late. What do you think happened to him? Somebody just told you your child died. You think he had feelings? You think he had thoughts? You know he did. You think panic is trying to seize him? You think despair is trying to grip him? This awful feeling of loss? The fear of death. Your daughter is dead. Fear of death. What happened immediately? When those words came, when that report came, what happened immediately? Are you looking? Look right there. What happened? What's Jesus' response to this situation? What's the first thing? First thing. Jesus, when Jesus heard it, that, the moment he heard it, he answered him. He didn't talk to them. He looked at Jairus. What did he say? What's the first thing he said? He said, Jairus, I got this under control. Don't worry about it. Don't really make any difference what you do because I'm the son of God. That's how people preach it. If it doesn't make any difference, why does he look at him immediately and go, now don't fear. Don't get in fear on me, Jairus. If it doesn't make any difference, why did he say this? Does it make a difference? Could it have changed the outcome of this thing? See, people haven't seen this or they've turned a blind eye to it. Jesus is not doing superfluous, unnecessary things. He's not going around giving little light pep talks. If it wasn't vital and necessary, he wouldn't have said it. If it wasn't a critical part to this whole thing, he wouldn't have said it. He wouldn't have dealt with it. He wouldn't have said a thing. He'd have said, oh, I got it, Jairus. I got it. But no. Why is he there? Why is Jesus standing here? Because Jairus had faith. He went and asked. He said, I, I, what's, I'm, I'm persuaded. If you'd come and lay your hand on my little girl, she'd be healed. He's expecting that. Right? And because of that, Jesus is on the scene. How many understand when Jesus starts towards your house, the miracle has already begun. Is that right? It's going to turn out different. You don't see it yet, but it is. But here this thing was threatened. Because fear is gripping his heart. And Jesus turns and looks at him and says, don't fear. Fear not. Do what? Only. Why only? Why? You can't fear and be in faith. You can't be full of faith and fear. Don't fear, only believe. What's he saying? Don't quit me now, Jairus. Don't quit me now. Oh, friends, are you hearing this now? Are you hearing it? And people say, well, he's God. He could do what he wants to. Well, why did he say it? If this is not required, if this is not essential for him to do it for him, why did he say it? Why did he deal with it? It's necessary. Faith is necessary. God can be doing things in your life. And fear can cut it off. You could have sown your seed. And claimed the money to come in. And the angels be working. And dealing with people to do things for you. And then you wake up and have a bad day. And get in fear. And cast your confidence away. And it stop. Just stop. Jesus can be on the way to your house. So to speak. Healing's already headed your way. That's why he had to stop and look at it. I mean, this thing has gripped Jairus. He knows these people. They're from his house. He knows they're not standing there lying to him. His daughter is cold and stiff. He knows it. She's not breathing. He knows they're telling him the truth from what they see. And fear gripped him. Despair gripped him. 
Everything screaming in his ears and his heart. It's too late. It's too late. It's all over. It's too late. And he is tempted to break down. He's tempted. Jesus looks at him. He says, Jairus, 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 stay with me. Don't yield to this. Don't. Just keep believing what you told me. You told me that if I'd come lay my hand on her, she'd live. Now, that's what you told me. You just believe that only. Nothing else. You just stay with that. Stay with me. Stay with that. And he must have. I said he must have. See, people try to tell you, I couldn't help it, Brother Keith. It would just Listen, when somebody tells you your baby is lying cold and stiff and you can control your feelings, then you can do it on lesser things. Right? You can control yourself and not yield to fear. Oh, hallelujah. Our time's about up now, but friend, this is so important. I'm telling you, reports come, don't they? All the time, reports come. You got cancer. And people think, oh, oh no. They think that's a death sentence. That's it. I'm gone. No, it's not. No, it's not. You can overcome. Yeah. Well, it's too late. You lost your job. Oh, no. I'm going to lose everything I got. No, I'm going to lose everything I got. Did you lose your God? No. Did you lose your source? Did you lose your provider? Then why do you have to lose everything you've got? Oh, no, this happened when a marriage will be over. Oh, no, this happened. It's all over. Listen, God never told you it was too late. The fears are the problem. The fears is what gives the enemy access. Said out loud, I refuse to fear. I will fear no evil. God's with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. I called on him. He's heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.